now, ladies and gents, uh, here we are again. Welcome back to A Thompson and Other Disappointments. Uh, back in the place. Um, how are we doing? What's what's going on with you? Hope you're well. Uh, let's uh, let's get into it, shall we? Let's do it. Um, so I've been keeping uh, keeping an eye, as you do, on party politics this weekend. Um, uh, the Tories have floated this idea. Cheers, by the way. Uh, the Tories have floated this idea this weekend. I don't know if you noticed it yesterday uh, on the Sunday morning sofas. Gillian Keegan doing the rounds. Education Secretary. Gillian Keegan uh, shopping this idea that they're basically going to try and get kids to run the country now. <laughs> this, is the, this is the Tories thinking outside the box here. Um, that's their new thing. I mean, it's it's ambitious. I'll give them that. It is a bold new strategy to attempt to persuade a subset of the electorate that they've done pretty much nothing to help over the last 14 years. The housing crisis, childcare, you know, they routinely disparage, dismiss and ridicule them in the press. They're all snowflakes. Gen Z are too soft, you know underfund the schools to the point the rat concrete falls in on them, make it harder for them to vote. You know all of this stuff, right? You know all the hits. All the myriad different ways that Tories have made life harder for the youth of today. But now here is Keegan over this last weekend suggesting it is going to be Tory policy to persuade or at least attempt to persuade <laughs> these kids today <laughs> to step in and pick up the slack. Um... I mean, I, I don't know how, you know, open to it they're going to be. I just can't see kids wanting to step in and help out the Conservative Party. I, th I think that's aspirational at best. Um, you know, like, you, you made my life harder. You made it harder to vote. I can't afford to live anywhere. I can't afford to have kids. You constantly mock me in the press. Oh, you're, sure, sure. Yeah, I'll help you guys out. I think I would rather do the draft. You were mocking me for not wanting to do last week. Um, like, I was joking with my other half uh, the other day, right? This is before I had seen the Gillian Keegan interview. I was joking with her uh, that because, like, one of our friends is, uh, she works in education. She's a teacher. Um, and we were talking about schools and the state of them. And, uh, and I was saying, you know, they can't dilute teacher anymore in terms of like a job role you know they already brought it down to teaching assistant right so they could pay them less in the same way that police officer became community support officer you know it's that sort of thing but if they have to make more savings which they do then they're gonna have to do the like the only option that's open to them right, is what i was musing to my girlfriend i was like the only thing they can do really is the whole like prisoners run the prison thing you know and get kids to chip in to lead a maths lesson. And you have to persuade them to do it like, oh, it's gonna, it'll look good on your CV. You know, put it, put it on there right up the top, like right alongside head boy and, uh, and prefect. And you know, and you're gonna have sixth formers teaching English to 14 year olds. And you know, it's, it's that magic uh, uh, Brexit deregulation that you all voted for. You, you know what I'm talking about. So you won't have teachers You'll have sixth formers teaching the kids. So there was that. I was having a good laugh about it. Turns out 
government have got a very similar sense of humour to me, apparently. So, so there was that. And then, and then there was this other thing that came out over the last few days. Um, I noticed Keir Starmer's uh, backed out of his green pledge. The twenty-eight billion pounds of green investment that the Labour Party were committing to. Nice. Totally bailed on it, guys. And of course, this is in tandem with uh, the Tories. They've uh, abandoned their heat pump and supposed boiler tax. It wasn't really even uh, a boiler tax. Um, and, and a lot of attention, I suppose, has been drawn to the party politics aspects of abandoning these green policies for understandable reasons, you know, because that's that's where the drama is, isn't it? The party politics layers of it. It's like, oh, well, we've shelved this thing because regular people can't afford it. Whereas Labour over here, Labour are going to saddle you with a, with a bill for £10,000. Can you afford £10,000 after what we did to you? <laughs> like, and, then, and then you've got the Labour angle, which which I suppose is, you know, we're, we're concerned about the future, guys. We're thinking... Oh, we were. <laughs> we were thinking... We were thinking about your kids. Uh, well, I don't know if they would brand it uh, exactly like that, you know. We're thinking about your children. <laughs> it doesn't really have the same ring to it that I had imagined there, you know. You have, like, Labour pamphlets printed with pictures of Tom O'Carroll and Greyville Janner on it. <laughs> like, Labour, thinking about your kids. No, that's not that. No, let's uh, let's move on. But it's, it's, yeah, the party political aspects of, like, this green stuff are, like, the Tories are trying to save you money that you were never actually going to lose anyway in reality, and then Labour are thinking about the environment, you know? So the blue guys are disingenuous, the red guys are going to cost you more. Either way, it's just, you know, tit for tat. And it's just... But if you leave the party politics stuff to the side for a second, just for a second, guys, and notice the share price <laughs> of the guys who make the new builds who would have got hit with the expense. This is the key thing. It's when they say, we're saving you £10,000 on YouTube. It's not you. It's, it's, it's the developers. It's the housing development companies who donate to the Conservative Party. The share price of the guys who make the new builds, the share price for those guys went up. <laughs> Dear listeners, okay? So away from the party politics, away from the us versus them and the red team and the blue team, just focus on this for a minute, right? The share price for the companies that build homes, places like Barrett Homes, right? Or uh, the other one is uh, the Barclay Group. Well, since Rishi Sunak abandoned his net zero stuff and he was on about saving everyone the cost of a heat pump, the share price for those guys, Barrett and Barclay Homes, the share price for those guys has soared, right? <laughs> And nobody's talking about nobody's talking about how this the the confidence in these companies is going up. And it doesn't get as many column inches as the shrieks of fright at both parties going tip for tat. Starmer says this, Sunak says that, Team Red, Team Blue, Division, etc. 
But that is what's happened, right? Is they've abandoned the net zero thing and then the share price went up, right? Barrett Home, uh, Barrett Homes was uh, £4 a share or something uh, before all of that. And then it's gone up 25% since then, right? And it's almost the same exact percentage with Barclay Homes. And I almost forgot to mention the share price of the old boiler manufacturers and maintenance companies. <laughs> the share price of those guys has gone up also. Just like the share price of BP and Shell went up after Sunak signed off the North Sea oil licenses. That was last July. You know, he signs off hundreds of new oil licenses, soaring shares. And all the thoughts of the profit that these conglomerates might make off the back of this decision. And it got me thinking, guys, right? I know you're thinking, did you get to the point, guys? Get to the funny stuff, right? And it got me thinking. Because a share price goes up when its value is perceived to be more, right? I mean, that's not a great revelation, I know, but for the people who perhaps aren't as au fait with the stock market and, and shares and all that, right? You could Let's say you buy 20 shares in Tesco or IBM or BP or something, right? And for each share, once a year, the company will pay you a dividend, right? Which is like a little, a little bonus, a percentage of the value of your share, right? And there's only so many shares. It's like a finite resource sort of thing. So to get the dividend, the bonus, right? You've got to go to the FTSE 100 or the NASDAQ or whatever, and you've got to try and buy one of these shares. And lots of other people might want to buy that same share too. So the prices of it, like with the demand, it goes up, right? You understand? Okay. So if people hear that BP or that Barrett Homes are not going to get hit with the cost of a load of heat pumps or pricey new boilers, or you're going to cut the red tape or give them a load of new oil drilling licenses or whatever, a lot of investors are going to be like, oh, well, they'll be more profitable then, won't they? So then the dividend will be higher, the bonus will be bigger, so I, oh, okay, well, I'll buy into it, right? And to some extent, that is an illustration of greed, right? Because everyone's like, quick, run to company A, buy their shares quick, because then somebody else will want the shares and they'll be worth even more tomorrow. I can sell them tomorrow and I make a nice little tidy profit, right? There is definitely that angle to it. But it's also, I think, here's where it's more interesting. It's also a mark of confidence in the company, right? Like overall, if the share price of company A is a thousand pounds a share, but the share price of company B is like 30p a share, then lots of people have lots of confidence in company A, okay? Like if people are buying into your corporation, they must agree that it's doing well and it will continue to do well for the foreseeable future. So here's where my head went. Get to the point, Aid. <laughs> here's where my head went. I was like, okay. So if, let's say, you know, I'm not going to say Barrett or Barclay. Let's say Smith Brown Properties, LLP. If their shares are worth more now, and that's a mark of confidence in the company for the foreseeable. <laughs> like you look at all the pros and cons of the nuts and bolts of the upticks, but also the challenges that the company faces. Where is the share price for planet Earth? <laughs> Like, I want to see the share price for planet Earth. I want to see how that's performing, 
right now for the medium to long term. I want to see <laughs> where that's pitching. What is our outlook for this globe that we inhabit, right? Like, how much confidence do people have <laughs> that Earth is still going to be in business in a few quarters' time, is what I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to establish. That would be really interesting market information for me. Like, it amazes me that you can buy shares in a property developer and the vote of confidence is based on the fact that they're no longer held to environmental standards. And you're like, oh, well, OK, I guess I guess things are looking up for Smith Brown Properties LLP, right? Meanwhile, the outlook more broadly is still like, you know, it's it's a bit bleaker, isn't it? Like a hedge fund, right? A hedge fund will look at something. It'll look at a business, a conglomerate or whatever. It'll look at something like GameStop is a famous example, right? And it will look at it and go, uh, oh, look, look at how quickly online gaming is taking off and how much more people are buying their video games off Amazon now, right? Look at how much that's growing. Plus, let's look at the cost of running, you know, actual bricks and mortar gaming shop, you know, the rents, the rates and all of that. Like when we factor all of that in together, guys, in our hedge fund analysis meeting, do we come away with the conclusion that maybe we think your business model is a little bit shaky? <laughs> you know, so now we're going to publish a paper on it and boom, you're getting shorted. Like that is what hedge funds do. They look into the nuts and bolts, the nooks and crannies. They form a conclusion and they invest accordingly. So like how, how are hedge funds not appraising the quarterly and annual statements of property developers who are reliant on raw materials <laughs> like against the backdrop of climate change like it's it's, oh, it's good that we're no longer held to net zero infrastructure in these developments isn't it oh it's amazing i feel so free we're gonna make so much money like you think that's a good thing for your business and like long-term strategy and goals i'm sure but how do you square that with the with the fact you need wood, you need timber, and there's these roaring wildfires behind you, and floods, and it, like, I imagine some billionaire prick, right, in a suit, with a PowerPoint presentation, and he's bragging about his company's monstrous return to growth, right, of between 20 and 25%, seemingly. And he looks so pleased with himself with his clipboard and his nice suit and his PowerPoint presentation. But gradually, as he's giving this, this presentation, talking about his growth, gradually, glacially, a shadow forms on his forehead. Then it goes over his whole face. Then all the way down this nice suit over his clipboard. <laughs> and it gets wider and it's darkening all the way across his presentation and then he looks up and it's a great big fuck off tidal wave and it's about to take out the entire region like that is how ridiculous this is like can we get a temperature check is, is all i'm asking for can we get a hedge fund appraisal on the outlook of the planet you know that's all i'm after is like how how is the share price of earth doing
Do people have any confidence that we're still going to be in business in 10 or 20 years, even? Because it really does amaze me, man. It's, it's like, I mean, the short-termism, I talk about this a lot, but normally I'm talking about it in a sort of political uh, context, you know, where they make decisions today based on what the headlines might be tomorrow with no thought as to how it's going to come back and kick them in the arse in like three, four, five, six weeks' time. But the short-termism with, like, business and investment versus climate shame. Climate shame? Climate change. That's <laughs> I don't know where shame came from. I mean, it's kind of accurate still. Freudian slip, maybe. But the short-termism, the blinkerdom, for want of a better word, that's on display with this stuff is just incredible. You know, we're like, well, you say that it's good for business, that you've got the red tape cut, you know, cut the red tape, cut the, oh, it's good for business, oh, it's so good for business, guys, that we've cut the red tape, you say that, yeah, yeah, that's right, no, no, it's, it is good, very, very good for our business, you know, no more expensive green energy boilers, oh, we're saving money, and that's good for profits, it's good for investors, good for shareholders, and good for dividends, right, but have you, have you found an alternative supplier of wood, and the other materials that you like, because ha haven't your three favourite forests all burned down, like singed to the ground? There's nothing there. <laughs> Have you found somewhere else to get the wood in? Oh, um, uh, right. Uh, and your plots? You know, haven't is your next like five or six plots that you've bought to build on? Aren't they forecast to be flooded this year? How are you going to build on flooded plots? What you, what you, shut the fuck up! You just shut your mouth. <laughs> Don't. Tell the markets. Like, shouldn't somebody be factoring all of that in, is, is all I'm saying. You know, like, look, look, guys, look at this. Look, They're modelling their company based on the idea that they will still be able to build houses after the entire planet has run out of oil. It's <laughs> delusional. Oh, my God, Giles, that is that is a gaping hole. In the model, yeah, yeah, we we should short it. Like that conversation should be taking place somewhere in the city of London, because without that, if that conversation doesn't take place, without that um, that quality control to this uh, to this climate denialism, this fantasy that it's going to be fine forever. <laughs> I mean, like, where would we be headed? Like, are we just going to slowly run down the oil, you know, run out of wood, iron, steel, you know, and even the shit that doesn't get exhausted, we won't be able to get it back to the UK anyway, because the stuff that has been exhausted is used to transport stuff, right? But still, anyway, you'll still get shares going up and up and people still investing, wouldn't you? It's, it's just like, even after the apocalypse, that's how nutty everything's become. Even when there's no cheap labour, there's dick one materials, they're building tree houses in Sherwood Forest like fucking Kevin Costner. And I'll be stood there going like, how? How are you still in business? How have you still got investors? And there'll be some, you know, Burton-suited bellend there with a clipboard pointing up at a tree house, going like, yeah, but... No heat pumps, though, eh? No heat pumps up there. Like, that is where we're headed, people. <laughs> They're just going to keep running out of everything 
but concurrently deregulating everything. You know? It'd be cutting the red tape in line with the exhaustion of raw materials. Do you know what I mean? Like, we've run out of rubber-stamped fireproof plastering over here, so you know what to do, Hugo. <laughs> Hugo pulls out the checkbook, writes a check to CCHQ or, or Labour by that point. I don't know. Maybe, like, out comes the press release. Like, oh, we're, we're cutting the red tape to free up business to get back to growth. And you'd be like, I'm, I'm all for a bit of deregulation, but are, are you sure this is safe? You know, isn't... Isn't this second-hand cladding that was left over from Grenfell? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, but we're, we're repurposing it. <laughs> we're upcycling it. Oh, yeah, okay, as what? As, um, as the cladding for your new build. Now, shut the fuck up. Oh, oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's upcycling, though. It's restoring. It's repurposing. And you can pipe the fuck down because it's good for the environment. We're going to end up letting builders use, you know, paraffin and kerosene as a door sealant <laughs> or something because it's cheaper and easier to get a hold of than the silicon. <laughs> and you're like, this isn't safe though. This is a death trap. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. No, stop, stop being such a bloody snowflake. Bloody Gen X, Gen Z, millennial soy boys. That's all you are. But that, that is our future, guys, is concurrently they will be forced to use more and more dangerous materials and products and chemicals as the proper stuff, the safe stuff, begins to run dry or gets harder to acquire. And the red tape will be cut to match it because that's what it takes to achieve growth, that sweet, sweet growth. And then we can all just, you know, slowly regress, I guess to living in treetop huts, pretending that the absence of a heat pump is a win, <laughs> rather than the collapse of our entire ecosystem being a gigantic loss. So yeah. What else is going down? What else is going down, guys, deep and deeper into the abyss? So <clears throat> over in the US, they are, of course, moving ever closer, very slowly, but ever closer to their general election. Obviously, all eyes in the UK are kind of obsessed on our own general election this year, which I still think will be in spring. So there is some immediacy to ours. But over there, it is also uh, gathering pace. In America, too, they are also gearing up for, uh, for what exactly? Uh, another Another ridiculous display of haphazard coups and vote count disruptions and voter intimidation. Do you remember the Trump army that Donald Trump Jr. was talking about? Like It's so fascist and it's just like disappeared off into the muddy, ambiguous history of the life. Like how nobody even remembers that. It was Donald Trump Jr. saying everybody like gather outside the like poll booths. Basically, like, just stare at people, make sure they vote right. <laughs> you better vote right in here. Insanity. So, yeah, there'll be voter intimidation, I'm sure. There'll be deep fakes. There'll be another coup attempt. <laughs> and, and plenty more integrity bin campaigning, I promise you. I mean, think back, think back to the last two elections 
over there, right? 2016 and 2020. In 2016, you had Donald Trump telling Hillary Clinton he was going to appoint a special prosecutor in the Justice Department to look into her emails and finances. Crooked Hillary. Do you remember that? He's like, I'm going to get elected and I'm going to appoint a special prosecutor to look into your situation. Like, he said that. <laughs> now, a few years later, he's got the gall to stand up there and go, like, talking about weaponization of the Justice Department. So, yeah, 2016, that was. Then you have the 2021, where his QAnon disciples treated the Capitol building like they were drunk seven-year-olds at the Adventure Playground, right? And now it's 2024. It's the third one in a row, right? The third terrible election over there. And I don't want to say it's definitely going to be a murderous dictatory collapse of democracy, you know, with probable bloodshed. Probably there's going to be political dissidents and journalists and activists thrown in jail from, from where it's headed, you know, maybe even before. I don't know. I don't know how much longer the creaking mess of democracy that America is can last. It may not even make it to the election. I still wake up every day amazed that the spark hasn't happened yet. You know, to explode America into the civil war that it so desperately, obviously wants to descend into. But yeah, like, I don't want to, I want to say it's, it's definitely going to be awful, but, you know, like I say, this is, this is the third one, right? And, and sequels are usually shitter than the original and then the, you know the third one if we're talking about a trilogy the third one is always like without question the worst every single time so how, how are you gonna watch batman forever and beverly hills cop 3 and tell me this election is gonna be a step up <laughs> it's just it's just gonna it's gonna be bad people it's gonna be so bad like set your expectations at dead bodies still wearing their ram horn hats slumped over the barricades of the white house that's where that is where it's set set your expectations to to much cure nonsense this coming november the 5th set your expectations prepare yourself for radicalized dudes called you know brock peters brock peters from sunningdale michigan who used to run the accounts payable for Detroit Motor Solutions, but now he's just a lifelong, intoxicated, orange Jesus Kool-Aid motherfucker. Prepare yourselves, guys, for thousands of Brock Peters leaving their wives and kids and jobs at home and storming the White House because they think they've had the election stolen from them. <laughs> because that's what Newsmax and Alex Jones keep telling them. Like, if you don't believe me, if you think all of that stuff sort of died down or, like, people have grown some intellect since then and it's all sort of petered out, whatever, look at the news over there. Just go and have a Google. They are still peddling this stuff about 2020 now. And not only has it been debunked hundreds of times, literally hundreds, but it's also an old story. And these are supposed to be journalists. 
You know, it is, it's neither a scoop, it's not what people are saying. You know, what are people saying out there? What's trending? It's, it's not a, a developing story. Like, it's all kind of been hashed and rehashed and put to bed. It wasn't a thing, you know. It's not impartial because these reports are hugely biased. And it's not true. <laughs> it ticks literally none of the boxes for journalism. <laughs> not one. But still it gets airtime. As though it's almost deliberately there to just slow boil and ferment future chaos, you know? And honestly, like that is that is where it is all heading. Like put a little mark in your diary right now, like Monday the 5th of February 2024, Aid Thompson on his podcast said, This coming general election in America, things are gonna descend into a bloodbath. It's just like, it's not looking good. All signs point to a rather deathy genre of political lunacy. You know, the polls, the media coverage, the, the rallies, the rhetoric, the past behaviour, the lack of responsibility so far. All signs point to it. Like, what is the share price of American democracy? <laughs> Right now, <laughs> can, can we get a fucking hedge fund on that, please? You know, he's just like petering along at naught dollars twenty or something. <laughs> One guy dressed up like Uncle Sam going, "Anybody buying? Anybody but no, nobody wants to buy." Oh, all right. <laughs> it's like, like that would be a humbling metric, wouldn't it? Like if it, if there were a stock market for various democracies. And the investor confidence in American democracy was trundling along at naught dollars twenty. <laughs> and then if like Russian quote unquote democracy just pipped it to fifty cents. Like if people had more confidence in a free and fair election in the Congo <laughs> than Washington would be like anyway. So so there's a couple of developments of late uh, over stateside. Um, and I thought, I thought I'd talk about them for a minute with you guys. Um, the first is that the DA, the district attorney in the Georgia case, that's the, you got to find me 20,000 more votes, that one, right? Uh, her name is Fanny Willis, I think. Willis or Williams? Can't remember now. Um, and she's admitted to having had an improper relationship with her prosecutor, that she's appointed for this. So Fanny Willis, the DA in Georgia, has admitted to uh, enjoying the genitals of a gentleman lover whom she has appointed as the prosecutor in there. So that's given Team Trump a means to request that she is then disqualified from the case. And I'm guessing that the reason that they want to do that, like, I mean, they're on the same team. So it's not like, you know, a conflict of interest kind of thing, but it is improper. And I guess the reason that they, they want to try to get her kicked off the thing is um, that then it basically means that they can delay it again. Right. And then Trump is kind of hoping that if that happens, by the time it comes up again, he'll be president and then maybe he can pardon himself or something, you know. And I saw this and I was like. Okay, so the DA and the prosecutor have been having it away, right? And I don't want to get all moral and judgy here. You know, I, I get that 
when you're in a high-pressure role and you're putting in the hours and you spend a lot of time together, things can happen, can't they, right? We all know this. We all know how things can develop. But there is a part of me, dear listeners, that was like, okay, look, but this case is one of the most important political trials of the last hundred years, Fanny! <laughs> Couldn't you have just got it out of wank or something? Like, aren't, aren't both of these people married? <laughs> aren't they? <laughs> like, if you're married, or even if you're in a long-term relationship, you know, for enough time, like, I'm sorry, you know how long you can go without sex. You've learned that. If you've been married, you know that it's possible for you to survive for possibly years without sex. Longer than you would like or than you had ever imagined possible. So how was it not possible for you two to just keep it in your pants for a few months while you jail this moron for the good of the Western world? Like, really? You couldn't? You couldn't hold it together for a few months? Or at least lie about it, you know? Like, who cares if somebody says you were boning, you know? Or you'd allowed the pressures of the case to manifest as a late night, pull the blinds down in the office, you know, rutting or, or whatever. Just, just say that you didn't, Fanny. Just say that you didn't. You know, how are they going to... Like, you, you had a whistleblower, did you? What, in the, in, in the meeting room with you while it was happening? Taking minutes still, really? You know, you've got a legal secretary in the corner of your office doing shorthand while you're like, uh, could you just uh, give us a minute, uh, Sandra? Just got to do something here. All right. Okay. All right, now. Where are we? Let's, uh, let's pick up where we left off. You know, it's like... that. No, that's not what happened. Just say that you didn't. And like, you know, I know a lot of people don't like the idea of lying. You know, here I am saying, just lie, just a little lie. Just say that you didn't, you know. A lot of people wouldn't be comfortable with that, especially for lawyers. You know, they're supposed to be getting to the truth. But we're talking about Donald Trump here, guys. We're talking about Donald J. Trump, serial liar, <laughs> cheater, fraud, rapist, like you could lie about this one thing and you would still possess the moral collateral to lead the case, Fanny. You really would. Anyway, the other thing that came up uh, is that Biden, Joe Biden, this sort of shocked me a little bit because I always think of the Republicans as being the side of business, right? But it turns out Joe Biden, Joe Biden's campaign, has more money in the war chest than Donald Trump. So that's something to be positive about, isn't it? That was sort of reasonably exciting, I thought. Joe Biden's campaign's got a bigger war chest than Trump's. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of America's addiction to ad spend and leaflets and super PACs and, you know, all of that. But I do think, you know, if you are in a system where raising money for political campaigning is that pivotal, you know, and there's not really any limits 
on it. You know, we're talking budgets of like $50 million, $100 million. Like, if you are in that political climate and you're going up against Trump and you've got more money than Donald Trump, that can only be a good thing, right? And the other thing that kind of excited me about that was like, it's only likely to get worse for Donnie. Because Donald Trump has to continue to fight Nikki Haley in these primaries. He hasn't got the Republican nomination yet, so he's got to continue to battle and leaflet and campaign and buy ads and, you know. And I read that his, uh, his campaign have already, like, they've had to spend $50 million of his campaign money fighting the various cases that he's saddled with, right? Which is actually quite amazing to me, to spend $50 million of political campaign money that you've raised from people texting that number, picking up the phone, donating $10, $50, $100, you know? All of that cheesy American campaigning stuff. That's that money, the campaign finance money. They've already spent $50 million of that just handling his like lawyer's fees, flying to these court appearances. Like it's really just, it's quite amazing to me, you know, that you could get prosecuted for using campaign finance money to pay off a porn star, right? But then using more campaign finance money to pay the lawyers to get you off the charge of using campaign finance money to pay off the porn star. Like that is okay, apparently, that's all right. I, I really don't understand the mechanics of that. Like, it feels like, what, what is it like? It's like, it's like taking money out of the cash drawer, right? At the store. It's like, hey, you, you took the, the money out of the cash drawer. I saw you. It's like, oh, no, 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 I didn't. No, I, I, I think you're seeing things. Oh, no, yes, yes, you did. Right, that's it. I'm going to take you down to the police station, son. And they're going to charge you. And uh, here's your trial date for taking money out of the cash drawer. You're like, okay, well. Just wait there one minute while I take your fucking safe <laughs> and all these gold bars and I'm going to use it all to fund my legal dream team over here. Who have I got? I've got, I've got the, uh, the the reanimated corpse of Johnny Cochran over here. I've got Alan Dershowitz here. I've got Marsha Clark. I've even got Ali fucking McBeal, son. Wait, are you paying for that with with cash draw money that you just stole as well? Yeah, yeah, I am. And what? Well, uh, and, uh, and absolutely nothing. I, I was just seeking to clarify. Everything is above board. Good day to you, sir. <laughs> so there's that. That's, you know, he's, uh, spaffing a lot of his money on legal fees, apparently. And that's going to deplete his war chest more so. Um, so that's fun. But the best thing I think I've seen this week over in the US was the report that Joe Biden, behind closed doors, guys, refers to Donald Trump as a fucking asshole <laughs> and a sick fuck right? <laughs> which I I like it I'm, I'm here for it I think it's good to hear a bit of colorful language but I'm of a certain generation where that stuff is okay I don't know if it's necessarily going to go down too well with some of the older voters in Delaware in his home state um but I was interested to hear like what you guys thought about it, because, you know, I suppose there's a bunch of schools of thought with it. I'm seeing a lot of different ways that it's being interpreted. Hearing the current in-office president dropping F-bombs like that is, uh, you know, 
a lot of people analyzing like why this stuff has come out why might there be reports that joe biden has called donald trump these names because like on the one hand it could be that these reports have leaked out right from friends and close associates deliberately you know leaked but deliberately to show a more human side to joe biden that's one school of thought on the other it could be just, you know, totally innocent. Like, it's not a deliberate leak, but it has come out. Anyway, you know, like a, a friend of Biden's would be in an interview with somebody and they would just happen to mention innocently or naively to a journalist that the president thinks the former president is a sick fuck, right? And then it's just blown up organically. Like, it's been quoted or reported or cited or sourced. And it's just, you know, it is what it is. But it could also be, I've seen this suggested around and about it could also be a well-organized attempt by some democrats to sink as low as trump right so where trump has called women pigs and he's made racist remarks and policies and you know and there's this feeling that that sort of rhetoric now demands a response you know like it's not good enough to just not be trump you have to be anti-trump perhaps you've got to call him a sick fuck so to speak then there's this other opinion, which is also, you know, about perhaps periphery Democrats. Which is that it's, you know, it's been leaked out deliberately by other Democrats who are seeking to embarrass the president. So the first one is like, you know, they leaked it out to uh, to humanize him. And then this one is like, you know, they've leaked it out deliberately to embarrass him, to destabilize him, to make him look like a bit of a loose cannon. Like he's irrational. He's forgotten that he's president and he can't talk like this. And maybe they hope that, you know, this, like leaking this, the embarrassment that comes with it, like it's not going to get him booted out of office, but maybe it might sow the seeds of doubt and eventually it might serve to hurry along the exit of Joe Biden in time, just in time to get a different candidate up there. A younger, more inspiring candidate, perhaps. But... Do you, ever, do you ever read these reports of what somebody said in private or what some focus group suggested or what uh, what polls well with this subset of voters? And, you know, and so that's what the candidate is doing. And, and uh, do you ever read all of this stuff? Right. And do you ever go like, none of this matters, you know, none of it. None of it matters like what this group of people would rather he said or what this group of people and how this focus group responded to that. You know, none of it matters at all. None of your problems, America, are going to be solved with a younger, more dynamic candidate. They're just not. You know, you could you could put an 18 year old in charge of America. It wouldn't improve. <laughs> as as the British education system will soon attest. <laughs> but but it's not about dynamism. It's about the decline, right? It's about the housing crisis, which exists over there as well as over here. Because no one can build enough houses because there's not enough materials and the borrowing rates are so expensive because everybody's country are run by banks. Like, everybody wants to get back to a sort of golden era, don't they? Everyone wants to get back to the time when Britain was still great or when America was still great. And what better way to market that or to illustrate it, than to put two guys in their 80s up for the Oval Office. When these two guys were there, 
when America was still great the first time. You know, like the US and the UK, we're so drunk on nostalgia and past glories, aren't we? Like, I honestly think if you dug up the corpse of Margaret Thatcher and JFK and put them on the ballots, I truly think half of each of our countries would vote for them. They would. Like your granddad. Think about your granddad for a second. And the times he said stuff like, oh, you know, Thatcher, Thatcher did wonders for this country. Tough as old boots she was. She wouldn't take none of this namby-pamby human rights nonsense. You're telling me he's fine with shipping victims of torture off to Rwanda, but you think morally he would draw the line at voting for a dead person, really? <laughs> you think? I bet, you know what, I bet there isn't even a constitutional reason why that couldn't happen, you know? I bet it's not even a line in the legislature or, you know, whatever that word is, that says, yeah, the leader of the Conservative Party has to be actually alive, though. You know, I bet it doesn't even exist. <laughs> and even if it did, we are talking about a political class here, dear listeners, who habitually break laws and shit on the Constitution at will. <laughs> you think they wouldn't do this again themselves, again, to this part of the Constitution? Of course they would. And it's the same in the US, right? Like if you put a, um, a Kennedy or a Lincoln on the ticket, Christ. I mean, are you seriously telling me that like all the cosplay 1861 nutters wouldn't jump at it? Like Americans wouldn't vote for a dead candidate over one that's alive, that they hated, right? You know, just out of Americana and nostalgia and symbolism. Like, of course they would, like Biden basically got in. <laughs> off the back of the fact that most people hated Donald Trump, right? And he's already dead, basically, right? I mean, look at it, like, he's old, he's cognitively, you know, he's like, and he's in bed most of the time. Like, you wouldn't even need to dig him up now. Like, that's the wild thing. Like, have you seen hologram technology now and deep fakes and all of the AI? And, like, you could literally have a sprite, right? A sort of computer game sprite deep fake of Abraham Lincoln that gives the address, you know, to single digit IQ tobacco chewing nutters so they can have a face, you know, to associate with policies and with America. And meanwhile, all of the serious stuff is sort of, you know, done back here behind closed doors. Right. And yes, look, I know it all sounds fetched, uh, far fetched and, um, you know, it sounds very Black Mirror, doesn't it? And it sounds bad. It sounds it sounds so so bad, but it's just like, um, you know, the, the thing you have to remember, guys, is um, is this is the end of the trilogy, <laughs> right? Like, I already, I already told you it was going to be bad, right? I'm just a hedge fund analyst, you know, and yes, the share price is wobbling, is all I'm saying. <laughs> guys, that's it. Uh, if you've enjoyed the show, uh, do consider tapping the three dots here on YouTube and uh, leave me a little super thanks uh, tip thing. Or, you know what, if you've been enjoying the podcast and the alternative paper reviews for a while, do consider joining the Patreon uh, or the YouTube community. There is a link for both of them in the description, or you can just go to my YouTube profile 
there should be a little join button right there if you do you get episodes of the podcast two days before everybody else i'm doing monthly one-to-one skype calls with my backers i do in-person meetups also uh, there's a discord chat which is sort of instant messaging i jump in there uh, before and after uh, live shows uh, most days as well i usually pop in and say hello uh, you also get named and shamed at the end of episodes like these look at these beautiful bastards these backers these I uh, love each and every one of you an appropriate amount. Um, anyway, that's it for this one. Until next time, keep yourself safe, stay influencer, keep it booge, and I am out this motherfucker. Yeah.